All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions, LLC. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, you're finally back from Europe, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. So I went to the UK. Yep. Uh, went to uh, France, over to Switzerland, and then up to Germany and uh, managed to stay ahead of uh, the COVID and the border closing between France and the UK. We got out of UK just in time. Everybody was safe, knock on wood. So it was a great, great trip. Glad to be back. Who do we've got today, Andrew? So today we are excited to have special guest uh, Kevin Tansy here today. So Kevin began playing competitive hockey as a young teenager and later committed to playing and studying academics at Clarkson University from 2011 until 2016. Kevin eventually signed his first pro hockey contract in 2016 and had his debut as an 11-game stretch in the AHL with the Binghamton uh, Senators. For the next few years, Kevin played North America in the two biggest pro leagues, ECHL and AHL, until 2019 when he finally rose the challenge and moved across the world to continue playing his pro hockey career, playing in the Ebel, Ice HL, and the Slovakia League, and more. So we're going to find out everything about Kevin today, where he's at in his career now, as he's still playing professionally, and he's also uh, running a CBD company as well. So he's a busy man. We're excited to finally have him today. Kevin, how are you doing today, man? Welcome. Doing really well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a mouthful. So without further ado, we'll get to the first question. So, Kevin, I want to start back from the beginning. What's the story of you be, uh, playing as a teenager, competitive hockey with uh, the Cumberland grads, I believe, and then before and then make it to the jump to the collegiate level? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll, I'll start back a little bit. When I was uh, AAA, came to Ottawa in my uh, major bantam year. And that was uh, the first year that I switched to a defenseman when I was 15 years old. Um, just figured that, you know, with the, the merging of leagues, um, I had a better chance of making it as a D-man since the forwards were pretty, uh, pretty high level in our, in our area, but the D were not too strong. So made the switch, uh, turned out pretty well, got drafted. There's, a, there's actually a draft in the Ottawa Junior A League, um, which is one of the only drafts in – Ottawa, it might be the only draft in, in the Canada junior leagues. Um, but yeah, I got drafted to Cumberland in the first round and, uh, you know, played two years there and um, sort of uh, took the first year as deciding if I wanted to go to the OHL or NCAA and had some, uh, some good offers in college route and OHL was looking more like I was going to be a sixth, seventh defenseman. So decided to uh you know get my education under my belt and committed to Clarkson when I was uh, I believe it was around December of my first year of junior A and uh yeah it was a cool experience I got to play junior um 15 minutes away from home um so it was nice to have my family at pretty much every single game uh I was you know got to play with some friends of mine got to play with some guys that I grew up with and grew up playing against so it was, it was definitely a cool experience so obviously being from Canada, I imagine there's quite a bit of pressure, excuse me, on kids that want to play pro hockey for you to go the junior hockey route rather than collegiate level. Did you feel that pressure at all? Did you feel like you kind of make that decision? And also what led to your decision to go in the collegiate route? Um, yeah, there, not, not too much pressure on my end. Um, sort of my, my dad played sports growing up, but never at any really high type of level. Um, you know, he played more rec. Uh, my brother, my older brother was also, you know, a, a rec player. He's, um, he, he's a musician, actually. He's in a couple of bands uh, back home still to this day. So 
he's uh, he's more of the artist. I'm more of the athlete. So it was more a little bit of paving, uh, paving my own way and kind of figuring out how it is as we go. So I didn't feel too much pressure. I mean, my parents were never anybody who like got mad if I played a bad game or, you know, stereotypical hockey parents, they were just, you know, happy for me. They're happy. I was having fun and they're supportive the whole way, uh, which was incredible. Um, to this day, they still watch every single game that they can. Um, when they're, you know, halfway across the world, it's, it's pretty awesome the support I get. So the, uh, I wouldn't call it pressure from their side. It was more, it was more finding out about kind of becoming a pro hockey player. It's sort of at every level I went up, it was sort of like, oh, okay, like he's doing this. Okay, he can do this. Okay, he can do this. Um, and it was just sort of a surprise at every step of the way. Um, so it was nice in that sense. And in terms of uh, going the collegiate route instead of juniors, when I was playing junior A, it was, uh, like I said, I was, you know, kind of going in to be a sixth or seventh defenseman. And I just wanted to wait and see what was out there in terms of college. So um, you know, I had a good 16 year old year with the grads. And, uh, after that, you know, offers started to come in and, you know, my parents were pretty adamant about the importance of having an education, uh, as a fallback plan, because like I said, we really, it was uncharted territory. We didn't really know how far hockey would take me. And, you know, there's so many stories of guys getting hurt or guys blowing a knee or getting an extra concussion that, um, you know, we, we felt it was the safest route as, you know, a family and as myself personally to just get the college degree under my belt in case, you know, God forbid something like that did happen, which fortunately enough that uh, nothing too serious happened that I was able to continue my uh, college education and continue to play pro hockey. So what led you to the decision of Clarkson? So, you know, you've, you've got many different offers. You go to visit a few places. If you don't want to uh, reveal where you went, that's okay. But uh what led you to the decision to say Clarkson's where I want to go? Not just hockey, but also, you know, for your degree, I I'm assuming. I don't know. Maybe it's just hockey. Yeah. Well, I'll be completely honest with you. It was uh, pure impatience. Um, it was, I, uh, Clarkson was the first school that offered me. And um, just like every kid, um, you know, when the thing about going to college versus the OHL is, the OHL is available to you at 16 years old if you're good enough, which it was for me to a certain extent. I could have signed a contract, but it just wouldn't have necessarily been the right thing to do at that point in my career. And my, you know, my parents were telling me just take, you know, keep your options open, um, which I did. And then, you know, I, I visited a few schools. I visited, uh, visited Canisius. I visited uh, Michigan State. I visited Union um, visited Clarkson, I visited St. Lawrence and then Clarkson was the first one to actually come up with a full scholarship. And I was 16 years old and I had no idea what I wanted to do in my mind. I wanted to be a pro hockey player. It was hockey, hockey, hockey. And the first school that offered me, I said, it was basically like, Hey, we're prepared to offer you a full scholarship. And I went, yeah, yeah I'll take it. Like pretty much like yeah. that. Um, and then it, it was funny, actually, the, the coach that, I never signed a, a national letter of intent for Clarkson because the coach that I committed under was let go right before uh, the season before I was coming in. And so I had the opportunity to kind of revisit other schools that had made me offers, um, which, you know, at, at that point I had played two full years of junior and I had some, I had some bigger school offers. I had, you know, I had uh, Boston university. I was talking to them. I was talking to, 
to Union a lot more seriously. Um, there's some other schools, I can't remember exactly which ones, but we're in the conversation, but I just kind of felt that I had given Clarkson my word and um, decided to, to stick to that route. And even though, um, you know, to this day, I, I, I still have not quite a clue what I want to do after hockey, although, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, although I have started a CBD company, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I want to do. And I don't think my education is really geared towards everything. I changed, uh, I changed majors seven times through Clarkson. So it was, uh, it was an engineering school and I am not very good at math. So (laughs) I finished with with a liberal arts degree and basically just took the opportunity to learn whatever I could learn. So at least according to elite prospects, so hopefully it's not incorrect, but I would like to get the story from you so I can get the timeline straight. You did play four years at um, Clarkson, but it looked like you took off your sophomore year. Is that correct? Yeah. Is there kind of a gap year? So what, so what was kind of going on there? So that actually ties in a good amount with um, the, uh, the um, kind of Sorry, just a little cough there. Yeah, <laughs> Ties in pretty good with, with my CBD company that I started and a big reason for it. Um, and also kind of shows the importance of getting your education because um, the summer between my, my freshman and sophomore year, um, I was very much in a scenario where it was wrong place, wrong time. I was at a friend's place and we... Um, my parents lived out in the country and I was still living at my parents' place at that time. And I was staying over at my friend's place and we were working at a hockey school early in the morning and we were, you know, playing call of duty or whatever. And there was three of us and it came time where it was my turn to sit out. So I went out to my car to grab my overnight bag and I was jumped with a baseball bat or a two by four, or I'm not quite sure what it, what it was. Um, essentially I don't remember three weeks of my life. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was basically, they, they were, I, my car was parked right outside and it was 10 minutes that I'd been outside just to go get my overnight bag. And they were kind of thinking like, what's going on? Like, where's Kevin at? Um, so they looked outside and they see me just laying down on the pavement. And so I had my skull cracked. Um, I broke my shoulder, which uh, resulted in dislocation of 16 times in the next three weeks that I needed surgery on, Um, broke three or four ribs, and I was in a coma for, I think it was like 40, 42, 43 hours or something like that. Um, So basically, uh, I redshirted because, you know, I I had some pretty significant injuries, Um, and then you know, I, like I said, I, I wasn't myself for three weeks, pretty significant head injury. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that one, one day I, I just woke up and it was sort of, everything was back to normal. Um, wow. to this day, to this day, I don't have a sense of smell still from that, um, from, from the brain injury. And then, um, you know, that, that sort of led me into the reason why I started the CBD company, because, you know, I, there is, there is painkillers involved in my recovery and there were, you know, other things that, you know, maybe 
kind of got back into partying a little bit too much at some point times, just trying to forget about stuff. And then when I found CBD for me, it was really the, the calming agent for me that was able to quiet my mind down as well as sort of put me back on track and kind of settle myself into a good, healthy recovery and just being able to be present in the moment while, when I, when it was helping me out there. So you recover from that finish, uh, finishing your collegiate career at what point did you go, Hey, you know, this is, you know, I got the full ride. I'm going to get my degree, but, uh, I can make it as a pro hockey player. When did that dawn on you to say, Hey, I think I'm going to do this and I'm good enough to do this. Was it early Um, on or was it later on? It was, it was probably before college. Um, I was, so my last year in junior A, I was the number 10 or number 210th, like the last player ranked on both central scouting uh, lists. So I was number 210 for North America skater on the preliminary one and the pre-draft one. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't fortunate enough to get selected in the NHL draft, but uh, I think like 15, 20 minutes after I was uh, after the draft finished um, and I was going to Clarkson the next year, the Toronto Maple Leafs called me. And they offered me to go to their rookie camp. So from that point on, it, it was just like, okay, like pros are a real possibility here. Um, you know, going into college with a real opportunity to develop here and uh, already getting some attention from uh, NHL teams. And then every, every summer after my college career that I played, I went to an NHL camp after that. So it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty humbling experience. And, uh, you know, it was, just, you know, once I saw that, I kind of went full flight and realized how important it was, especially after the injury and, you know, kind of made me realize that, you know, I wasn't indestructible, which I may have had that mindset a little bit, not may have, I did have that mindset a little bit as a, you know, a guy who is a kid who is 17, 18 years old, going to NHL camps, thinking I'm on top of the world type thing. It definitely humbled me and made me realize the importance of getting that education as a fallback because, life's so unpredictable that you know it's uh, important to get that that stuff in your back pocket so i did notice that as soon as you had graduated from clarkson university i'm assuming you had signed a deal very very late at the uh in the 2015-2016 season and you played your first 11 games you know as a pro hockey player what was the story on you signing your first pro hockey contract and it was at the yeah. AHL, wasn't it? Yeah, AHL. Yeah. Yeah. So um, after after your collegiate senior year, um, there's there's PTOs that you can sign, um, which is like a professional tryout, and that's what a lot of guys do because it, it doesn't burn um, a full year. Obviously, there's guys like you know Makar or like big name players who come out of college and are able to play in the NHL right away. Um, it's not the same for them. They just sign a contract and we'll burn a year. But um, I, I just signed a contract for the rest of the season in Binghamton. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get 11 games in and kind of get a taste of what it was all about and what, what I needed to succeed at that level. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely an interesting experience to, to begin at the American League. So how tough of a transition from full cage to half shield playing with kids to now playing with grown men. And this is a job. I mean, this is their livelihood. They got families. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was interesting. <laughs> my, I mean, my job, my job <laughs> was, uh, basically my, I, I mean, I weighed, 
I'm now, now I'm weighing about 200 pounds. Um, when I graduated Clarkson, I was about 235 pounds. My job was basically to hit people, uh, block shots and, you know, shut down the top players where in the professional league for the most part, especially in the game today, you have to be more of a complete player. Um, and that, that, you know, was a little bit of a rude awakening. I mean, it's, it's at every step you have to just get better because players get better at every step you go up right at that level. Um, so I obviously had to uh, make some adjustments there and, and changing from a cage to a visor was, was pretty interesting. My second, uh, my first career fight and my second career American league game. Um, I mean, college was all about big hits because you couldn't fight. And so in the American league, my second game, I lined up Ben Thompson, who's a pretty tough player. Um, and I lined him up and hit him and, you know, he kind of, he kind of stepped out of the way last second and I got a penalty for, I think it was, might've been elbowing or it was like, it wasn't a super clean hit. It was a little bit of a dirty hit, but kind of one of those borderline ones. And in my mind, I was still thinking I had a cage on and he came up <laughs> to me and he like, it, that, that was, that was kind of my welcome to the pro moment. Like it wasn't like a, like I was used to for the last four years, just, you know, push my cage. I push your cage, push your cage. I push your cage. He dropped his gloves and he went boom, boom, boom. And it just like, I ate two or three punches right away. And that was sort of like, Oh my God. All right. Yeah. That's different game, <laughs> different game here. So uh, yeah. that was, that was definitely something that, that made me realize pretty quick that, you know, I wasn't wearing a cage anymore. <laughs> yeah. that, have, have you, did you see the video of it? No, I did not. Oh, you have to watch the video of it. Oh yeah, I get the that you're oh, like, oh says, shit. When, when, he, no no, when he says he lined him up, yeah. I mean, he 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 ran at you ran out. You took <laughs> oh, a yeah. big run at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I took the run out. So it's about yeah. that was gonna be my next question, too, is about your first pro fight. So what was you know, in between the next few years when you're in between East AHL and AHL, what was your toughest fight that you had? Um, I mean, my next toughest fight was, I mean. I wouldn't say it was my toughest fight because I did okay in it, but it was uh, my, my actually second pro fight, which was just looking back pure stupidity now and just me not knowing who I was playing against. This was when I was in Chicago for my first full season pro and it was probably sixth or seventh game of the year. And I, you know, I was a guy who was on a two way AHL, ECHL deal, just trying to um, stay in the lineup basically and do whatever I could. Yeah. And we were playing against Cleveland and um, there was a big hit in the corner and I was coming in and this guy slashed me and turned me around and, and just went like, let's go. And I was like, I looked at him and you know, I'm, I'm about six, three. And this guy was like five eleven, And <laughs> I said, all right, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. And so we dropped the gloves and he drops his gloves, turns his back to me. And just like skates away from me and does like this fuck like big square off. Like it was a 10 second square off. And I was just kind of, I was this guy like thinking like, okay. Like, what enforcer did you, are you fighting on accident Yeah, So it was, it was Brett Gallant. Yeah. Um, well, I fight Brett Gallant. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got the big so, skate and everything. <laughs> exactly. So he's, he's obviously one of the toughest guys to ever do it. And I mean, that, <laughs> Like, like I said, like it, I, I definitely, I, I didn't win the fight, but it wasn't like, I mean, he's one of the fi toughest fighters 
the game has ever seen. And it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't an outright loss. Like I landed a couple, he landed a couple, he definitely got the, the best of me, but um, you know, that, that fight itself went for a, like a good amount of a rep reputation yeah. for me. Like, Oh, this guy, this guy will fight one of the Glant brothers. Okay. Like he must be tough when in reality it was, I had no idea. Like I just, I was just stupid. I didn't do my yeah. research. I had like, I was lucky <laughs> leaving the body bag a little bit, but you know, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was I was about to say, what was your mindset? I mean, are, were you even nervous? Do you ever get nervous? I know some of it's kind of, you know, uh, right at the moment you drop the gloves, but especially having to square up like that, is it kind of nerve wracking or no? It's it's changed a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, my first couple of fights is like, it's like anything, right? You get better at it as you go. Um, I think I probably have about, probably about 10, 10 or 12 career fights. Um and you know it's one of those things that you know you learn to take a punch um you learn you learn to kind of take your emotion out of it and just try to you know do it tactically a little bit better it depends on your style um before square off scared the hell out of me now I prefer them a little bit just because I can kind of take a second to breathe and just realize like all right like this is what I got to do it's me versus you and I'm gonna bet on me every time type thing right um but yeah, back back when uh, initially when Glant uh, turned around and <laughs> skated away from me and dropped his gloves, I I was thinking, oh my, like what did I get myself in here? Oh, like, it, uh, that was definitely a time where it was uh, <laughs> the showmanship kind of threw me off for a second, and I was like, okay, well, this might be tough. <laughs> yeah. I want to uh, I want to switch a little bit uh, because our listeners know we're. Tulsa Oil of fans, and we follow uh, ECHL quite a bit. So this is going to be your Toledo days, which, by the way, we should set the stage saying that Toledo's got a, a hell of a fan base. I don't know if you want to mention Toledo, but uh, I heard playing in Toledo is a, a, a great arena. Incredible. I mean, it's like you play on a Tuesday night there and there's 7,000 fans in the rink. It's like, I, I you know, Toledo's always going to have a place that's dear in my heart. Um, I played the better part of two years there. Uh, I, you know, I, I grew relationships with fans and, you know, kids there that were just, you know, so in love with the game and so in love with the walleye, um, really can't say enough good things about the support that that community gives to the team. Um, it's, I mean, it's incredible and you, and you don't, you don't see it as much in the minor leagues where you get, you know, good fans. You might see it on a Saturday night every now and then in the ECHL, but to really get like like a bad night in Toledo is getting four or 5,000 fans. And that's, that's just incredible. Like it's, uh, it, it, it's, I had a, I actually had a parody Twitter account made after me and like after it was made, it was, it was called Corporal Tansy. And after it was made within like 72 hours, it had more followers than I actually did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was so well done. It was, it was like, uh, it was said as if like I was a, a war vet and like every game was a war and every tweet started with dear family. It was like a letter I was writing back to my family describing the game and, and like there was Photoshop involved and pictures of me and teammates like within war outfits. It was, it was really incredible. Um, was yeah. flattered. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, uh, you know, with, uh, so weird. It, it, you know it, it was it was definitely a little bit weird but I, I didn't know who it was um they introduced themselves to me and told me and like 
you know, it, it is interesting. And, you know, the sports fans like that, I mean, for me, it's always a little bit different because I'm, I'm so close to sports and like, I understand I have, you know, I have friends who are in the NHL. I have some friends who are in the CFL, which is a football league in, in Canada. And mm-hmm. to me, they're just, you know, they're just friends who are good at sports um, just because I'm around it. But, you know, without fans like that, who really put their, their flesh and blood into the sport, you know, my job wouldn't be possible. So it's, it's something yeah. that, I've always had, I've always had time for fans. I'm always someone who will answer people if they message me on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever, I'll, I'll always respond to them. And, you know, you just appreciate it. Right. Because it's, you know, I, I remember being that kid going, going out to 67s games when I was a kid and seeing these, these, I mean, now I look back at it, seeing these kids who are 16 to 20 years old and thinking that they're gods. And, you know, I, I remember, I remember when players gave me the time of day and how good that made me feel. And, you know, if you can do that for, for kids or even adults, like it's, you know, it doesn't, doesn't do anything bad to me. Like, so it's, it's, why why wouldn't I, you know, why wouldn't I make, you know, someone a little bit happier that day? Absolutely. So uh, we did mention earlier, we did recently have on guest Braden Lowe on the show and he does have a podcast called minor league madness, which you were on semi recently I listened to a little bit of the episode, but I noticed one of the big stories that I, I did not catch was a story about a Toledo walleye uh, on ice brawl. So what is that story? Because, man, I'm very curious about that. Well, you're about the violence today. You're I know, just, man. Okay, I'm right. curious. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it was you're pretty, pretty classic, um, pretty classic ECHL kind of brawl. Um, dirty hit, end of game, games out of reach. um then you know I think we're winning like five or six one with like five minutes left and a guy made a dirty hit and it just turned into a five on five and then actually six on six because there was a goalie fight involved uh brawl that just kind of kept going after the whistle and then you know next time the puck was dropped there was another three fights or something uh it was pretty wild um there's a little bit of backstory to it they're just like you know us playing them and it was against it was against the team that I used to play for. So I had some history there too. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit of a, of a disturber on the ice. Um, I like to push some buttons and I guess I was doing that a little bit that game and yeah, it's <laughs> turned into a little bit of a brawl. <laughs> Is it ever weird trying to uh, push the buttons of uh, former teammates or anything? You guys ever laugh when you're in a little scrum together or is it pretty much like it, it's, it's, you know, it's your job right now. It depends on the guys. I mean, it's like everywhere. Um, there's, there's some guys that I've played with that, uh, you know, they're my best friends and will be my best friends until, you know, the day I die type thing. And then there's, there's some guys that I played with that we didn't really see eye to eye. It's like, you know, it's like working anywhere else. There's some people you like, there's some people you dislike. So it's a different attitude when you're going into corners with, with your best friend versus your, uh, a guy that you didn't necessarily get along with. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to play everybody hard. And I think everybody that knows me knows that I'm not going to let them get the puck from me if I can do my best not to, but I might, you know, throw a little something extra if you're someone I didn't necessarily like. <laughs> right. So good. Yeah. So I, I got a couple of um, uh, Toledo questions. So first of all, you were on uh, a great Toledo team. I mean, first in the division, I think all the time. And uh, we mentioned just before we came on, us being Tulsa fans, uh, Toledo knocked out Tulsa uh, 2018, whenever it was, 17-18 in the conference finals. 
which we were at all of our home yes. games. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about that because that was an intense series. I also want to talk about the intense series that you guys had with Colorado, where you know Colorado was at their best of their best as well. So can you bring it back? Any memories of uh, the, the conference finals with Tulsa that pops in your head? Um, honestly, like it was, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a blur going back. It was, uh, you know, when you go that far into a playoff series, like you're, you're getting that game 90 to hundred in the season. Um, and you're just trying to survive at that point. A lot of, a lot of making it that far in playoffs is being a good team, but also luck, you know, you, you don't have injuries, you, you know, you get some puck bounces. Um, I think we won seven games with Tulsa, right? Either yeah. six or seven, I can't yeah. remember. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a good team. Um, we, we were, I mean, we had, we just had a lot of veteran presence on that team. Like we had Shane Bershback and AJ Jenks and our goalie, Pat Nagel, just guys that all had over 500 career games that were just, you know, elites, veterans leading the way. Um, and then, you know, we also had a good group of skilled younger players that, you know, you, you need those to, to survive in the ECHL. You need your your 10th and 9th forwards to be, you know, good players um, and be able to pitch in. And we, we had that. We had depth. We, uh, you know, we had it all the way through. We had Matt Register, who's like, I think, the winningest ECHL player of all time. Um, and just with the guidance of their leadership, it was, you know, really, like, they stepped up in the last game, too. I think Birchback had a goal. Jenks had two goals or something. Like, it was... It was, uh, you know, you, you need those guys to step up in big ways in those kinds of series, and, and they did. And then you move on, and I think you would uh, seven games with Colorado, or maybe I'm well, it was Newfoundland. Newfoundland, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, was it Newfoundland? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is yeah, that the Colorado first year they won it all? Yeah. Well, what's it like, I mean, going to Newfoundland? I mean, yeah. that's got to be insane. Yeah, I mean, Newfoundland, I mean, as a Canadian, it's, it's known as uh, – I've known some, I've known some Newfoundlanders and it's like, they're just a different breed. <laughs> like they, they, they live, they live on the Island there. Uh, there's not much to do there. There's the, you know, they drink and play music. And I mean, any that I, I know two or three Newfoundlanders decently well. And like, I like the amount that I would drink that would have me wasted would be like their pre-drink for a whole night. Like it, it they're just, that's what they do on the Island. They're a different breed. They're fun. Uh, they like they like to get after it and they play hockey the same way right they uh you know their their whole province was behind them those the rink was incredible um we got off to a bad start in that series unfortunately we you know played the first two games on the road and came back down to nothing um it was unfortunate but you know that's like i said you need some puck bounces in playoffs we didn't necessarily get them in the playoffs and the finals and it was uh a scenario where um you know it's don't want to, don't want to make excuses, but you know, we had, uh, we had, I think our, our AHL and NHL salary from Detroit and Grand Rapids was something like $250,000 amongst three players. Whereas Newfoundland had two players on, um, ECHL contracts in that, in that series. Like they were, they were all on NHL or AHL contracts. So, I mean, they were, they were a deep team. They had a lot of skill. They had a lot of very good players because Toronto, Toronto signs a lot of players. The Marlies do. 
um, for, for that reason, you know, it's, it's, they want to develop their players and they do a good job of it. Um, but you know, it was, it was just, we got down into a hole and, uh, we tried to, to fight and scrape our way back, but we just fell short in game six a little bit. Do you do anything different to prep for a long playoff run? Um, cause I know that playoffs are just a different breed. It's usually a heavier style of hockey being played no matter what league. So is there anything that you do different? Healthy-wise, I mean, after a game, do you have to do something to make sure you stay loose, don't get hurt or anything like that, or is it just like anything else? Play through it? Yeah. My life in playoffs is only hockey. I, I don't do anything. I don't, I don't drink. I don't go out. I, don't, I do grocery shopping. I eat food. I don't eat fast food. It's like I, I am pure, take care of my body. I take naps every day. I'm you know, getting massages. I'm stretching for an hour after every game. Um, and that's really what it takes, right. To, to let your body survive that. I mean, especially over in North America where you play a 72 game season where, you know, you have three and threes and seven and tens and all kinds of games in a short period of time. Um, especially with the travel too, with some of these teams and, uh, it's, you really just have to take care of your body. And when it comes to playoffs, it's, that's it. Like it's, you, you, for me personally, at least it's, you know, no booze, no going out, no, no staying up past, you know, 11 o'clock if I can help it, like just pure hockey and nothing else. Like I, I don't do video game. I don't like it. I just yeah. shut down except for hockey. Yeah. So in 2019, you make the decision to go overseas, which um, is not um, unsimilar to a lot of our guests that we've had on. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of Justin Hodgman. Yeah. Who, uh, who, who went from, uh, I don't know if he finished in the AHL over here or ECHL, but he's having a hell of a season with the Sheffield Steelers over there in the UK league. Um, so what kind of made that, that move? And for him, it was uh, a better league. It was also better pay and more playing opportunities for him. So what, what made you decide to say, hey, let me try this overseas and see what the pros are like over there? So, yeah, I mean, you basically nailed the hammer on the head there. It's, I mean, not the league that I played to was the Austrian league compared to the ECHL. I would say it's, you know, pretty on par. Um, you know, I, I'd say that the biggest difference is there's a lot of, uh, a lot of discrepancies, not discrepancies, but variation between the first line and the fourth line, um, you know, where the first line might be really good and there might be, you know, two, 300 AHL games and maybe a handful of NHL games in the Austrian league. But the fourth line is like really just, you know, young Austrian players trying to develop and, you know, Austria is not necessarily known for their hockey. So if you get that first line out against the fourth line, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty fun <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or not fun, depending on what side you're on. Um, but yeah, for me, it was the decider was uh, my last year in North America. I got called up to Stockton. Um, and I was there for about three months um, and, you know, great, great team, great group of guys. One of the best groups of guys that I've played with uh, over my playing career. Um, and I came in and I was, I was doing really well in Toledo and I came into Stockton and I played the first four games really like as like six defenseman minutes, like, excuse me, eight to 10 minutes per, per night, probably maybe 12 minutes. And I had four points in my first four games. And then my fifth game, I didn't get a point. And then I got scratched for four games in a row. 
Um, and then, you know, after that, it was just kind of what, what players go through when they have to kind of grind through the American league and the ECHL and being that yo-yo guy, who's a call up send down type guy, which I was throughout my career in North America. Um, so after that, you know, I, I realized that quite frankly, in, in my opinion, I was, I was a, a better hockey player than some of the people that were being placed in me, but you know, it's obviously some guys get drafted and some guys have better resumes and they get better opportunities and, you know, you want to see your guys that you drafted succeed. So you give them the chance and I understand that's how it works, but it's just that I got to the point where I realized that, okay, like if I'm, if I'm putting up four points in four games and then one game, I don't have a point and get taken out of the lineup. That's sort of when I went, okay, well, you know, maybe it's just not in the cards for me. Um, try, try my hand at Europe and uh, see how it goes. And I mean, more money, um, get to play in Europe. It's, you know, you get to see the world for a living. Um, you get to, you know, try different foods, get to travel. You play 30 less games in a regular season. So it's easier on the body. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of advantages to it. Um, if you're, you know, sort of an up and down guy, like I was, it's, it's definitely something that I recommend to a lot of my buddies who are in the situation that I was, I'm like, Hey, try, try Europe. Like I, my second year I played in Innsbruck, Austria, which was, I mean, life was a postcard there. Like I was playing in the Austrian Alps. I would wake up and I would see mountains every single day. Like it was just kind of different experience, right? It's, it was pretty cool. So, yeah, you played in several different countries now and several different pro leagues uh, across Europe. Are the fans as crazy as other guests that we've had on the show say it is? Or have, what, what, what's been your experience with your teams and their fan bases? Um, I would say that I don't really have a great experience just because most of my, my time over here has been COVID. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, yeah, so last much. year, last year we didn't play in front of fans at all. There were no fans at any game all season. So that sucked. Um, <laughs> no other way to put it. I mean, you know, you, you guess I understand it to a certain extent. Um, my, my first year over here in, uh, in Znoimo, in Czech, it was, it was pretty good. We weren't the best team. Um, and it was in a town of just 25,000 people. So it was sort of, you know, I don't want to say bandwagon because that's not really the right word, but it, I, I guess it might, it is the right word. If like, if you're good, the arena's packed. And if you're not good, it's, there's not too many people there. And we were, you know, I think we were like seventh or eighth place out of 12 teams so it you know some games when we got hot the arena got pretty good um where i'm playing right now uh in bruno in czech there's um they are known for like some of the craziest fans in europe um and i've seen that already there's only i think there's a, a thousand person capacity right now um or really? sorry thousand person limit um and i mean every game I get 25 to 30 messages on Instagram, like, like get this team, get this win for our city, get this win for our city. like people <laughs> supporting like crazy. And I, I, I mean, this is really one of those places where it should be one of those experiences that fans are insane. I've seen pictures and videos and yeah, I, I think, I think it is, they, they live and breathe it and it's just a different atmosphere. Like it's, they, they chant and sing and there's drums playing the entire time while you're playing. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it's obviously not to the same amount when there's only a thousand people, but you still hear it. And it's still hard to hear the players on the ice when there's only a thousand people in the stands. So it's, it's pretty wild. 
So before we get into the lightning round questions, and Dad will go over that. And, and well, I've got, that. I've got I've got a quick follow-up question. All right, go ahead with the follow-up. So, question. Kevin, um, you're in <laughs> you're in the Czech Elite League now. So you got David Krejci coming. You got Yarmir Yarga. Right. So what are you going to do when you got to you know box these guys out of front of the crease? I mean, do you say, uh, "Excuse me, Mister Yager, I don't want to hurt you, but I, I want to get you away from our goalie," or are you just <laughs> going to start chirping at him? Or, or are you going to take a run at him like you did with that Thompson guy? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that everyone's the same to me when I'm when I'm on the ice. They're they're trying to beat us. I'm trying to beat them. Um, a little bit different with Yager. You know, he's I mean, he's he's a guy that obviously is 50 years old, still playing the game with guys that are in their prime. It's pretty incredible what he's done. Obviously his accolades speak for himself. He's someone that don't think I'd be taking a run at, but you know, if he's in front of the net, I'll play him hard. Um, won't necessarily try to kill him like other people I might try to kill in the middle of the ice, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you said earlier, it's my livelihood. So I, uh, it's hard to not be star starstruck by some of those guys. Like I definitely, I definitely checked for the days that I'm, I'm going to be playing those guys. I mean, it's exciting. I want to, you know, I, I hope that I get a picture of me playing against Yager and it's like, you know, us battling in the corner or something because, you know, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a pillar in hockey. He's been playing with, he's, I mean, he's been playing, he's been playing 30 years or so. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Pretty, like he's someone that my dad grew up cheering for kind of thing like it's it's uh it, it's it's really cool like there's not really a lot of words to be able to explain it I'm excited but at the same time we kind of got to check it for 60 minutes and realize that he's on the opposite team and uh, you gotta have to put that away for for a little bit and then you know maybe say something to him in the handshake line like or get a picture with him I don't know but yeah it's, <laughs> it's definitely gonna be a cool experience so, yeah, there's just the last thing I want to talk about real quick was uh, your CBD company and kind of, you know, I know we kind of in, in the beginning kind of briefly talked about it, but also really talked the importance about CBD in general, especially as an athlete and how that can help you, because I know that new studies are being done on CBD, THC, Delta-8, all these different things. And uh, just want to hear from an athlete how it's positively impacted you and how um, your company will be impacting others. Yeah. So, I mean, the way it started for us was, uh, like I said, it was, uh, an old teammate that I had played with. He, uh, he had a company, um, that was a CBD company that I, I worked with just, you know, as, uh, he would send me some free stuff and I would throw up Tansy 20 on my Instagram for a discount online type thing. Um, and then I guess his, his partner got cold feet a little bit, thought it was going to be a get rich quick scheme type thing. Um, so they, they kind of fizzed out and I messaged them saying like, Hey, like I've got some, I've got some money to spare here. Let's, let's try to attack this a different way. And <clears throat> ever since then, we, we really wanted to be the CBD for athletes. Um, the thing about CBD is you look at the, the companies out there right now and they're popping up like crazy. They're everywhere. Um, it, you know, it's such a new market. It's such a new industry, um, that, there's not, there hasn't really been any marketing that has been too specific. Uh, in our, in our opinion, people were trying to cast that broad net, um, and catching everybody while at the same, not really catching anybody just because everybody's going, Hey, CBD is for wellness. CBD is for this, CBD is for that. And they're advertising for everything. You know, there was, 
there was a CBD company that had, um, they, they claimed to be the CBD for sports. I can't remember who it was, but they claimed to be the CBD for athletes. And then like their next post was that they had just signed one of the bachelors as an ambassador. It's just like, that, you know, are you really CBD for athletes? If you're going after, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just doesn't fall into the brand. So our, our whole mindset was to go after the, the Gatorade brand, which was, you know, to start small, like it started just for the Florida Gators, uh, a, a drink that they drank. And then, you know, they did well that season. And because the Florida Gators were drinking it, people on campus wanted to drink it. And then it grew from there. It's obviously everyone knows what Gatorade is now. So we wanted to kind of re rebrand that into our own thing for CBD and really be the CBD for athletes. We have only been in contact with athletes, really. We, you know, our, our ambassadors are athletes. Our marketing company that we hire is um, another, other, another goalie that I used to play with. Everybody that we have really worked with has been or is an athlete to a certain level. And that just kind of comes from um, my experience in professional hockey and you know, some of the guys that we have are Mark Fraser, who played, you know, three, 400 games with the Leafs and the Devils. And uh, Matthew Barnaby is another one of our guys who obviously everyone who knows hockey knows who Matthew Barnaby is. And just just tough players um, who, you know, have had experience with injuries, pretty significant ones, have been hard nosed throughout their whole career and know what was so easily given and what players had such easy access to um, painkillers and stuff that was addictive, like opioids and stuff like that, the teams would just give to players to get through games. And, you know, I've, I've, in my career, I've, I've, you know, um, taken stuff to just numb the pain for a game and not really thought about what the repercussions will be 20, 30 years down the road from it. I just, you know, in, ingrained in me and ingrained in every professional athlete is you want to help your team. You want to do whatever way you can. If you, if you want to play, if you can play, you will play. And if there's a way to get around that, you'll do it. Um, and it just got to the point, you know, where the players are, players are talking about it now and crying out about it. And there's all these books about, uh, you know, players telling their stories or people telling their stories for them of, their addiction problems and where it stemmed from. And, you know, it started with a broken hand or it started with a couple of concussions and, you know, they were given this or that, which started a habit forming for them and they couldn't sleep without it. Or, you know, whether it was Toradol or like T3s or all kinds of stuff that was just so easily accessible. Our whole mindset was in this day and age, athletes want to know what they're putting in their body you know, it, it used to be, you know, play a hockey game, drink 10 beers after and go out and party and have a smoke and all that kind of stuff. Now it's not so much that it's, you know, like it's, you take care of yourself, you take that massage, you go stretch, you, uh, you drink the vitamin water and stuff like that. And we want to be a safe and healthy alternative for athletes to recover with, because, you know, I I've known, I've known people personally who have had problems that, you know, and it, the sad thing about it around the culture and, and sports is that it's not really looked at as a problem. A lot of, a lot of ways it's sort of looked at as tough 
like, oh, you'll play through it. You'll play through it. You'll, you'll numb this, you'll numb that. And it doesn't matter. You'll be back in the game, which, you know, I can see the respect factor. I've been a guy who's done that. You know, I've, I've wanted to be a tough guy. I have been a tough guy who I've, I've played with broken ribs. I've played with a dislocated shoulder. I've played through concussion. Um, I played with broken nose. I've played with stitches. I've played with a fractured elbow. And, you know, the, the, the root of that has been, I don't want to let my teammates down, which is, is kind of crazy if you think about it. And so, although CBD is not, you know, it's not a magic cure. It's not, it's not something that'll just make all the pain go away. It is a safe and healthy alternative. It's non-habit forming. And that's really what our brand represents. And that's really what we want to go after. And that's, that's what's resonating among athletes, right? Is that we, we genuinely care. I mean, we are guys that have done this. We, we know what it's like, you know, we have, we have an ambassador who, it's an anonymous story, but I won't tell who it was or what the organization was, but it was a, uh, they had a Pez, like he said that there was a, there was a, not a Pez dispenser, a vending machine outside their locker room for like all kinds of painkillers, basically. And it was just like, just go for it. And this was, this was in the late nineties, early two thousands, but it's like, it's just crazy to think back. Like that's how accessible these things are. And for us, it's about changing the mindset around it, right? Because there's obviously that gray area. There's, you know, the, the mindset of, oh, you're just a stoner and all that kind of stuff where in reality, it's, you know, this, this stuff is, is better for you than booze. It's better for you than painkillers. It's better for you than pretty much like all of the stuff that people take. Like it's in, in terms of that kind of stuff, it, it, it takes less of a toll on your body. Um, you know, short of, short of smoking it and the effect it has on your lungs, the, the science is there, the, the recovery science is there. And we're just trying to push a, a way of thinking differently about it. You know, everything's evolving so quickly in this world. We, we have so much more access to knowledge. We have so much more access to science and everything is evolving. Something that we thought might've been correct three years ago isn't correct anymore because we have more availability to research. And it's really just giving people access to the information and trying to make them rethink the way that they do business and treat their players. Because I mean, some people might take it personally, which is sad. Um, And they hold these values so true to them that this is the way to recover. But when athletes are crying out, which, which is happening now, and you know, they're asking for something healthy, something good, a nice alternative for them that won't make them hurt or an addict in 10, 25 years, you know, and that's what we're going to provide at the end of the day. Awesome. We've got some lighthearted, what we call lightning round questions. So the first thing that pops into your head, you just say, if there's a story, great. If you just got a name, great. Here we go. You want me to start? Go ahead. Let's do okay. It. Which arena, and we'll say from your collegiate career on, which arena had the worst ice conditions? Ooh. The worst. That's tough. <laughs> um, it's a thing. Uh, 
honestly, Clarkson's weren't great. The, the <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, our, like the, the thing that chilled the ice was, was broken for a good part of my, my career there. So if it was not freezing outside, the ice wasn't great sometimes. Worst locker rooms. Oh, worst locker room. That I played for or just in general? In general. In general. Oh, I mean, we played at AIC in college, and AIC was it was just a community rank. So, it was, uh, there, mind you, there were there were some bad ones in the Slovakian league this year too. Um, yeah, there, yeah, there's, there's AIC was definitely a bad one. Um, I'm trying to think of which team it was that we played this year that was really tough. But there's uh, in, in Europe, there's some tough ones too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this could be. Toughest goalie to score against, but I guess that could be a goalie you also had on your team since you get practice all the time. But who's who's the best goalie that you've had to play with or against? Uh, I played against Corey Crawford in a game um, when I was in camp with St. Louis. That was definitely pretty tough. He was a, a very good goalie. Um, yeah, I would say he was he'd be the best one. What makes him or any goaltender – uh, to be that good what, what do they do that other goalies don't because it seems to me the novice couch potato fan is that they're all doing like the same system the same movements everything else what's going to set a goalie apart from just the average um their focus their their attention to detail uh their athletic ability there's just so much that yeah, i don't think you can really pinpoint one thing um it's more of a whole package it's like anything you practice Practice, practice, practice makes you a little bit closer to perfect every single time. Um, and obviously, if you're a guy like him that won two Stanley Cups, he's definitely did a pretty good job of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but I would say probably the biggest thing would be athletic ability and attention to detail. Okay. Funniest or most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or a warm-up, but while you're on the ice? <laughs> while I'm on the ice, probably losing a fight pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's always, always got to hurt the ego. Getting beat up. Yeah. That, that's yeah. How that checks the ego a little bit. I've scored on my net a couple of times too. That sucks. Oh, oh no. Yeah. That's good. Not really scored on my, well, I haven't like really. It's a flex. Yeah, I guess right? I, did, I did. I did kind of pass one into my net. Once. <laughs> pass one in there. Yeah. Like just sort of tried to clear it and sort of kind of went off my stick, kind of a pass attempt, like more of a swipe at the puck. Yeah, and just put it in. So that, that <laughs> sucked. <laughs> that happens. That's all right, Bob. Even Bobby Orr did. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which player had the innate, innate ability to get under your skin? So who was your pest that you just couldn't stand playing against? Just got you every time. Ooh, mm, that's tough because in the ECHL it's different. There's guys who are, who are, you know, who are your pests, um, and then there's guys who. Uh, who just quite frankly don't care about your well-being and might try to cripple it. So there's there's a little bit of difference there. Um, but pests. Hmm. Reminds me of those two guys recently in that ECHL warm-up. I know you've seen that video recently. Yeah. Well, yeah, Howie, Howie, Howie. Howie. yeah. 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 He's yeah actually, he, he went after me for a bit. Um yeah. in one game, but I just kind of wasn't really a pest. It was more I mean, I, I don't think I was someone that pests really went after too much because if they did go after me, I, I wouldn't have a problem with dropping the gloves and fighting them. Right. Um, I've definitely played with some good pests. Um, Tyler Spees is a good little pest. He was in uh, 
in Toledo with us. He's just, you know, the fast in your face type of player. Um, the smaller guy, but not afraid to drop the gloves. Um, is it worse when they don't want to fight? Is that when that real pestness comes out or is it not that? See, that's that's where I just call it cowardly. <laughs> I think yeah. it's like yeah, one of the most tough things we have to be able to back it up. And if not, then I just don't have too much respect for you. I'm trying to think of trying to pinpoint one person who could be a, a top pest. I mean, college is probably the best. Uh Laurie on Colgate. I can't even remember his first name, but um, we went at it a lot in college. He was on Cornell. Um yeah, he'd probably be my number one from uh, from college. Who is the toughest player you had to play against? So I love asking the defenseman this. So who is the guy that no matter what you did, you couldn't move him in front of the net? It's not that they're tough. They're just so strong and good. And we had a few defensemen we asked, and they'll say somebody, you know, like one of the old-time players talked about Matt Naslin. He just couldn't even move the guy. Yeah. It's so big. Um, the uh, who, who's that guy you mentioned on Tulsa, Mike McKee? I mean, yeah. like that guy is just a, I mean, he's a giant. Like, yeah. <laughs> when he's in front of the net, it was you kind of just tried to block the shot instead of move him. Um, <laughs> your uh, the captain in Tulsa too was actually Pel, uh, Pleskatch. Yeah, yeah, Pleskatch. Yeah, he was just a sturdy player. Um, just big guys like that. I mean, for me, moving people isn't the hardest thing usually. Um, just because of my size. Um, but yeah, those two guys are guys who uh, were definitely a little bit tougher to, to move in front of the net. Is there anybody that, uh, you know, you had to watch? I mean, they just didn't plant themselves in front. They're like a Brad Marchand. They're scoring from every angle. You know, you, you go to cover them here and they're over there. Was there anybody that was tough to cover in front of the net that just kept moving and scoring? Yeah, I mean, you play against a lot of those guys in the American League. There's, you know, there's two or three guys on every team. Um, there was uh, Kenny Agostino was really good with that. I played with him, not against him, um, but he was he was really dangerous around the net. Um, and Colin Campbell, he was uh, in Grand Rapids. He's in the DEL now. He's just he was in, an incredible puck tipper. Um, you could get a stick on on a lot of pucks. Um, a guy I played with as well, uh, Braden Christopher. He's in uh, he's in the Finnish league, and I played with him in Innsbruck last year. He's he would actually probably be up there for best pest. Actually, again, I played with okay. him, not against him, but okay. um, he was uh, he was always in, in your face, like no matter what, and uh, he could he could put the puck in the net too. So for the last question, I know it's pretty broad in general, but the, just the first thing that pops to your mind when I say favorite hockey memory so far in your pro playing career. Favorite hockey memory would be um, just games that I have my family and friends at. Um, yeah. Being so far away is, I mean, it, it's tough. And, you know, I, I always appreciate when I have friends or family there. Um, you know, it's happened more than once, obviously, but you always kind of have a, a little special spot for them when you have someone that you can look up to in the stands and, and say, you know, okay, this is, this is why I'm playing. This is who I'm playing for kind of thing. Um, in terms of, of other than that, uh, playing in terms of actual like hockey memories would be playing against um, Chicago, my first year pro. I got the uh, I got I was fortunate enough to play. Um, it was the year that it was the year that they had the Team North America, the World Cup thing, um, where uh, while I was at camp, 
St. Louis had, I think, three defensemen who were in in that um, tournament. And so obviously I made it past a couple rounds of cuts that probably wouldn't have if that wasn't going on. So I was fortunate enough to play in a sold out Chicago Blackhawks arena um, with St. Louis. And I played against Patrick Kane. I played against uh, Artemi Panarin. I played against Brent Seabrook. I played against Corey Crawford, Jordan Tutu. That was, that was pretty special. Um, That was, I mean, as close as I ever got to making it, I guess. Um, And that was, uh, it it was just wild. I mean, to actually play in a real, not, I guess it wasn't even a real game. This was an exhibition game, but like a somewhat meaningful game against guys of that like was, was pretty incredible. I bet. Awesome. Well, great way to wrap up. Yeah, man. We appreciate you coming on the show today. And obviously we'll say goodbye off air, but officially on air, Kevin, we appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Was there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners today? No, I mean, just thanks for having me on. It was, uh, you know, a lot of fun talking with you guys and uh, like what you guys are doing, trying to grow the game in any way possible. And, you know, hopefully hockey picks up in Tulsa and keeps going strong and you guys keep making pushes at the playoffs there. It's it's fun to see. So uh, good job, guys. And I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, we'll check in with you because, uh, I mean, you know, that elite league you're in 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 Czech is uh, a tough league, man. And uh, it would be great to check in with you and see uh, what you think of the experiences playing with uh, some of their stronger players. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling confident going into those games, having a good season. So uh, hopefully they'll be watching out for me more than I'm watching out for them. <laughs> good, man. Well, good luck. All right. We'll say goodbye, but we'll uh, pause this and we'll talk to you in a sec. Give it a sec. All right. What do you think? Awesome interview. Great stories. What a nice guy too, man. But uh, lots of experience playing the ECHL, AHL, and then going overseas and continuing to play over there. And he's got a business, man. He's a busy, he's a busy, busy guy. He's a busy guy, smart guy. And uh, I love these players that um, undrafted. Yep. Uh, grind it through ECHL, AHL, uh, playing overseas, now playing in, uh, in the Czech league, uh, which is a pretty tough league. If you've, if uh, listeners aren't familiar with that league, check it out and check of all the players that are playing in that league, not just uh, Krejci or Yager. A uh, lot of good players there. So I know we're running uh, long. So let's end this episode. Andrew, who, who do we have our next guest? So the next guest coming up is Dave Jackson, former NHL official. And you guys recognize him because he is the uh, official analysis, as in the referee analysis for ESPN. Oh, that's so right. You hear them all the time on ESPN Plus whenever hockey games come on. This is Dave Jackson. So that'll be our next big, big guest. Thank you all very much. Have, and a, one, have yeah. a great Friday. Have a great Friday.